Thank you, Sam. Israel, that was great. Great song. Well, it is a joy to be here at uh, the chapel of West Coast Baptist College. I love this school. I love this church. I did not attend this school. Um, matter of fact, it wasn't around when I went to school. I wish it was. The school that I attended is no longer around. Uh, but we, um, at Corridor Baptist Church, we have uh, adopted this as our school. This is where we send our kids. And uh, we don't feel like they could go to a better place. This is just an outstanding school. You ought to be thankful that um, God laid it on Pastor Chapel's heart to start this school and to invest in uh, the next generation and actually the next generation after that. And uh, I am thankful for West Coast. I'm thankful for Lancaster Baptist Church. It has also just been a huge blessing to us. And uh, we've, gotten, we, we've gained many friends through it. And uh, Brother Rasmussen, I'm so thankful for you, your wife, your friendship. Brother Rasmussen's been coming to our church. We were just reminiscing probably the last 20 years with the singing group. And we look forward to that every year. It's always one of the highlights of, uh, of our church. I count it a, a privilege and an honor to be able to talk to you this morning and I just want to be a blessing, and I trust it will be. You know, when I was first asked, I received the email asking if I would speak at, the, uh, at this chapel. Actually, it was supposed to be tomorrow's chapel, but um, you were supposed to have pastor chapel, I think, today. But something came up, and so we changed schedules around. But uh, nonetheless, as um, uh, I was thinking about, man, what do you bring to a crowd that knows everything? Because when I was in Bible college, it just seemed like my peers, they knew everything. And, and um, uh, you know, I, I had actually studied this message out, and I had all kind of research that I'd put into it. And um, then the Lord just, at the 11th hour, had me completely change directions. And so I'm going to bring you something this morning that is actually very, very basic, but, you know... The longer I've been in the ministry, the more I realize that everything begins and everything ends with the gospel. And if you don't have the gospel, you don't have anything really. So I would ask if you would turn to Mark chapter 8 this morning, the book of Mark in chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, and beginning in verse number 22, the book of Mark chapter 8, verse number 22, the word of God says that he cometh to Bethsaida. And they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up, and he said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes, and made him look up, and he was restored. And saw every man clearly. And the Bible says in verse number 26, And he sent him away to his house. I want to talk about the healing of this blind man. You know, blindness was, and apparently still is, 
more common in this part of the world, and accordingly, this was the most common defect that the Savior treated, at least as recorded in the New Testament. Now, we know, according to John, that not everything Jesus did, not everything that he said is actually recorded. John said this, he said that if we were to record everything that Jesus did in that three and a half years of ministry, that the entire world could not contain all the volumes of books because of all that he crammed into that three and a half years. And so we have a, uh, we have a handful of miracles that the Bible recorded for us. And you know, it's interesting to note that every miracle Jesus performed or every miracle recorded has its own set of circumstances, a different set of characters, unique challenges, and then also different reactions. And so you can even go to the same miracle, apparently, when Jesus heals one blind man, and then go to another like this one, and you'll see the circumstances are completely different. The needs obviously are the same. The result is the same. The Savior is the same. But the circumstances and the characters and everything else, completely different. Uh, this is, if you do them in chronological order, uh, give or take, this is about the 24th recorded miracle. And it's intriguing in its own way. I want us to consider this morning and I want us to challenge or be challenged by it while we also are, are exhorted by it. Two major themes I want us to look at this morning. Real quickly, number one, I want us to look at the subject's approach. Of course, the subject is the blind man. The Bible doesn't give us his name, doesn't give us much else as far as information about him. But I want us to look at the subject's approach. And then the second thing I want us to look at this morning is the Savior's action. The Savior's action. So, first of all, the subject's approach this morning Three things concerning his approach I think that we can learn from. Number one, I want us to look at his condition. His condition. You know, he was obviously blind. The Bible tells us this. However, there was something a little bit different about this blind man, uh, blind man than other blind men. Uh, some of the blind men that Jesus dealt with were born that way. This one apparently uh, was not. And most scholars agree that, uh, uh, that um, he actually became blind, he wasn't born blind. And some would argue that this is the worst of conditions. It's one thing if you're born blind and you never knew what it was to see, but it's another thing to be able to see and then maybe get a, a disease or contract some sickness or maybe even have an accident that causes you one day to be blind. But there are two reasons that we come to this conclusion that he probably became blind. First of all, he already knew what men should look like and what clear vision was all about. Look at verse number uh, 24 after Jesus asked him if he saw aught. Verse number 24, he says, uh, it says that he looked up and he said, I see men as trees. 
You ever thought about that? Sometimes we just glaze over the Bible when we're going through our devotions. But the Bible tells us to study to show thyself approved unto God. And this is an interesting scenario because obviously he knew what trees looked like. He knew what men looked like. And he said, as I'm looking, I see men as trees. In other words, um, I'm not seeing very clearly. He already knew what men should look like. He knew what clear vision was all about. Not only that, after the healing, the Bible says that he was, verse number 25, after that he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored. You know, this is from a Greek word which literally means to be in its former state. So there's two indications there. And by the way, I'm I'm not necessarily going to Um, split hairs with someone who thinks he was actually uh, uh, born blind. However, the Bible does seem to indicate that he knew what clear vision looked like, and secondarily, his sight was restored, not just given to him. And I think this is an excellent illustration of mankind as a whole. Man was created a spiritual being. A being that could see God, that could walk with God, made in the likeness and image of God the Creator. The Bible tells us that when God was finished with his creation, that he looked on his creation and saw that it was very good. Very good does not mean pretty good by our standards. Very good in God's standards means there was nothing wrong with it. By the time God was done with creation, including mankind, it was very good. It was perfect. And when we consider the fact that, boy, man had a relationship with God. Um, if you've ever heard me preach before, you know I like, to th- I like to think about this. I like to reminisce about this. What it was like for Adam when God came in the cool of the day. I've always thought about this, and first of all, we think about the garden, it's beyond our comprehension, it was absolutely perfect, there was nothing wrong with it, there was nothing wrong with Adam, he was absolutely perfect, he was sinless, and then God would come in the cool of the day, and what those chats must have been like, what those conversations must have been like. What that fellowship must have been like. I kind of have a feeling that when Adam lost everything, that was probably the one thing he missed the most. Was in the cool of the day, the Bible says God would come and that they would have, I don't know, maybe their evening coffee together. Who knows? But they would talk. They would fellowship. They would have a relationship such as no other man has ever had, at least not on this earth. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us at one point that God uh, brought all the animals to Adam and said, Adam, what, what would you name this animal? And what would you name this one? And the Bible says that whatever name Adam gave that animal, that was its name. That's how close they were. What a relationship that they had. Mankind as a whole once had spiritual sight naturally and lost it because sin caused a spiritual blindness to plague all 
of mankind. You do realize that when we accept Christ as personal Savior, that we are restored, that we are made whole. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 3.10, and again, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Romans 3.10 says that as, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You do realize that wasn't always the case. Adam did do good. Good was all Adam knew. Mankind, however, lost that, became spiritually blind. So as we consider this subject's approach, his condition, it was a hopeless one. He had lost his sight. You know, to this day, there's no known cure for blindness. It was hopeless. As we consider his condition as he was approached Jesus. I also want you to notice to, uh, uh, something else about his approach. I want you to notice his crowd. So as we go from his condition to his crowd, the Bible tells us in verse number 22 that Jesus came to Bethsaida and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. I always found this to be interesting. He's not asking. His crowd is asking. He's not coming to Jesus. His crowd is bringing him to Jesus. As a matter of fact, as we go on through this narrative, he seems a bit apprehensive about the whole thing. The crowd seems confident. Thank the Lord for that annoying crowd. Those, no, those nagging friends, our irritating relatives, our overbearing parents that drag us to church to meet Jesus, that invite us to church to meet Jesus. Every single one of us here has a story. And, uh, and likely that story involves someone who brought you to church, someone who invited you to church, someone who nagged you to church. Maybe you're here today because just to get someone off your back, you went to church. Maybe you're here today because of godly parents where you had no option you didn't make your own decisions. Your, God, your godly parents made your decisions for you. And on Sunday, you were in church. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a relative. I'm so thankful for the crowd. I'm so thankful for my parents taking me to church. Saturday night, we never asked. After my parents got saved... Saturday night, we never asked, are we going to church tomorrow? There was no question. We were going to church tomorrow. We never asked Sunday afternoon, are we going back to church tonight? We were going back to church tonight. Come Wednesday, we knew we were going back to church on Wednesday. Visitation days, we didn't ask, we knew. 
And I want to tell you, as a kid, sometimes I got annoyed by it. But I'm so thankful today. Maybe you're here in Bible college today because somebody, I remember, well, Brother Rasmussen comes to our church and brings a, a, brings a, a singing group, and I know that he, he, he nags our kids. At least go for a year. At least a year. I'm thankful for that. And my daughter Dana came for a year. And then another year. Next thing I know, she's here four years and graduating. And then they hire her. We're still waiting for her to come back. But thank the Lord for that annoying crowd. They brought him. They besought Jesus to touch him. One cannot honestly read the scripture without realizing that Christians are to be about the business of bringing others to Christ. John 20, 21, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Luke 14, 22 says, Go out into the highways and hedges, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Acts 1.8, ye shall be witnesses unto me. Listen, the list goes on and on. You cannot read the New Testament without coming to the realization God expects us to be fruitful. God expects us to be about the business of bringing people to Jesus. Not only did this wonderful crowd drag this needy man to Jesus, despite his apparent apprehension, they begged for Jesus to help him. Look again, verse number, uh, verse number 22. And they bring the blind man unto him and besought him. That means they begged him, please touch him. But that brings us to the next thing about this man's approach as we look at his condition, as we look at his crowd. Number three, I want you to look at his caution. His caution. His apprehension. It's not his actions, but rather the lack of them that speak volumes about this man's faith. So we have all heard the saying, actions speak louder than words. Sometimes it's a lack of action that speaks volumes. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, he that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Well, no one would say, well, I'm trying to drive people out of the church. But Jesus says, if you're not trying to get them in, you're driving them. In James, James reminds us in James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's a good thing to bring people to Jesus. It's a bad thing to be apathetic and not do anything for Jesus. Inactivity will often speak just as loud as activity. And it's clear from our text that this blind man was brought to Jesus. And unlike others, he did not beseech. He himself did not beg. He himself did not come. 
Matter of fact, he kind of seems to be just going with the crowd faithlessly. I want you to compare this to blind Bartimaeus. Like I said, every miracle has its own set of unique characters and circumstances. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 18, verse number 35, that it came to pass that as Jesus was come nigh into Jericho, a certain blind man sat by, sat by the wayside begging. Hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. Now notice, he also has a crowd. See, when you're spiritually blind, someone has got to help you. But I also want you to notice that he's more eager, blind Bartimaeus, when the crowd told him, it's Jesus of Nazareth, he passeth by. Look at blind Bartimaeus and look at his, uh, what he does compared to what the man in our text does. The Bible tells us that this man cried. David, or Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now they which went before him rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more. The Bible tells us, he cried, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, what wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight. Now I want you to notice also the difference in the healing. Immediately he received his sight. Man, some people, they just take to the gospel really quick. Some people, have you noticed that when you lead some people to Christ, you don't even have to prep them. The Holy Spirit's already been prepping them. And they're ready. We were just talking the other day about, to a, one of the men in, in our church. And we talked about when his sister came to our church. And uh, she's still there. She's still a member there. But I remember the very first time that his sister walked into our church doors... As soon as the invitation started, she was down the aisle, and she was in the back room accepting Christ as her Savior. Not long after that, getting baptized. Her brother, on the other hand, came to church forever before he finally got saved. And then he, was, he went to church for an entire year. Might have even been two years before he actually got baptized. You know, some people are ready. And some people it takes a little bit of time, and others it takes a lot of time. The man in our text certainly did not show the same kind of confidence or enthusiasm or faith as blind Bartimaeus or others. His approach, boy, his condition was hopeless. His approach as we consider not only his uh, condition, his crowd, thank the Lord for his crowd, but then also we looked at his caution. Now I want to, now for us to switch gears and look at the Savior and his action. 
from the subject's approach to the Savior's action. The Bible tells us in verse number 22, back to the beginning, they bring a blind man unto him and besought Jesus to touch him. Now, verse number 23, we notice Jesus' care. Number one, his care. You know, here's something that's interesting. Because this man kind of seemed to have just kind of a, not an excited attitude, kind of a lethargic attitude and You know, if you're not careful, you might look at someone like this and say, you know, I'm not going to waste my time. This guy really doesn't even want to be here. This guy's being drugged. They're begging for him. He's not asking himself. The Lord helps those who help themselves. And so I'm just not even going to waste my time. But I want you to notice that's not the Lord's attitude. The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our God doesn't even delight in the death of the wicked. So the Bible tells us that he took the blind man by the hand out of the city, led him out of the, out of the town, away from the crowd to an isolated location. This man, Jesus understood, needed to rely on Jesus on his own rather than go with the flow, rely on the crowd that was pleading to Jesus on his behalf. If you're not careful, you'll find yourself just going with the flow. As a matter of fact, sadly, I think many professions are made this way because, well, everyone else is doing it. I guess I ought to do it also. But Jesus knew healing salvation is personal. It's a personal decision you and I have to make. No one can make it for us. You're calling into the ministry. Personal. God, if God has called you specifically into the ministry, he's never going to... Uh, he's never going to go back on that calling. It's a personal relationship. It was imperative that this man be dependent on the person of Jesus Christ. Look at the power of Jesus Christ and trust in the promise of Jesus Christ alone. It's easy for people to just go with the flow, so to say, There are many in good churches who make professions of faith and are compelled to make commitments because they love the direction of the church or the people of the church or the pastor of the church. Thus, they find it easy to follow. Sometimes, however, a program change, a pastoral change will shake them to the core because their trust was not really in Jesus. Jesus. 